0: Amen. You may have a seat. So glad you're here. Are you glad to be here this morning? Good. Glad you are. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue on. Last week we dealt with a lot of verses. This week we're going to deal with about three. I'm not going to try to drag Acts out like we uh, stayed in Matthew, but if that's what God desires, that's what we'll do. Because these next three verses are so packed and so powerful. That if you blink, you might miss it. And my prayer for you this morning as I was putting my thoughts together last night and finishing up and finalizing everything is, I just want you to hear it today. I want you to follow along. I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear him. I want you to see his words. I want you to feel his presence. I just want you to know that he desires to speak to you this morning. He really does. And really, him speaking to you is dependent upon whether you're going to listen or not. Because he's always speaking. Remember, we just sang that. He's always at work whether we see it or not. He's always speaking to us. It's a matter of are we going to join in? Are we going to listen? And how are we going to respond? And that's really what we're going to be speaking about today we're going to be throwing some churchy words around today one of the big churchy words is conviction that's something that is kind of has a negative connotation we don't really like that word it makes us feel icky i don't want to be convicted convicted means i've done something wrong Ew. (laughs) right that's how we feel about conviction because in the day and age that we live to do something wrong nobody does anything wrong anymore they were just a little misguided It was just an honest mistake. It was an accident. We've really traveled really far away from the notion that we do things that are wrong. And that's okay. Not okay to do wrong things, but it's okay to acknowledge, I messed up. I did something that was wrong. I sinned. And even saying that, and I'm sure with you hearing that it causes us to go, no, I didn't really mean to do it. I, I, it was just the first time. I'll, I'll just ask for forgiveness and everything will just be fine. You know, there's a difference in feeling the conviction and owning the conviction and doing something about it. All my life, growing up, I grew up in... Churches that were powerful in their preaching and powerful in um, their benediction portion, to where the altar calls were strong. And I remember many, many Sundays, many, many Wednesday nights in youth group, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and feeling bad about what He's convicted me about, but not doing anything about it and leaving there, no different. But man, I felt bad. And I felt good about feeling bad. And I felt, because I felt good about feeling bad, that I must be okay. Let me tell you something, church. That's not okay. Feeling the conviction is the first part. That's the work of the Spirit. You have a responsibility to do something with that conviction. You have a job in this. And your job is to acknowledge the portion of your life that the Holy Spirit is saying, there's something wrong here. What you did was wrong. And I know that the world tells us that that's okay. We'll just work around it. We'll just accept it and move on. But I'm telling you, the scripture teaches different. And the Holy Spirit is absolutely calling you away from the sin that you have become so comfortable with. And he's convicting your heart to draw you away to give you something better. Now, that's just the introduction. <laughs> I'm telling you, what you're getting ready to read and see, and my prayers that you will experience for yourself is something so powerful that I believe many churches today don't experience it like we should. And I love you guys. And my heart is here and I want to be here for as long as God will let me be here. But I'm afraid that we deal with conviction not like they dealt with conviction in Acts. We feel really bad when the Holy Spirit works on our heart. When I give a sermon and the word of God penetrates your heart, you feel really bad. And you know you should do something and you should feel bad about it. But we leave here no different. We just felt really bad. Let me tell you something, heart change, true life change, doing something different, being different than when you walked in here, begins or ends with your response to conviction. Heart change does not happen just because I feel bad, and you should feel bad. One of the greatest things I've ever heard, I was counseling session one time with someone, and Uh, Someone else was leading it, and the person was just bawling and just talking about how bad they felt of what they were involved in and and all of these things that we want to hear from them. And the person that was leading this counseling session looked at him and said, good, you should feel bad. And I thought, whoa, wait. (laughs) But isn't that our normal worldly response? No, 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 no. Don't make them feel bad. Don't, don't make them feel any worse than they already, let's, let's just love on them and encourage them and build them up. Yes, but first let's stomp them in the ground and let them feel the weight of the sin and the conviction that the spirit of God is doing on their heart. Don't you dare do something against that. That is God's work in their heart. And our job is to come around them and work with them, not to distract them from the spirit of God working in their heart. Now it's easy for us to say absolutely until it comes to us. And when the Spirit of God begins to convict us, what we want to do is we want to get on our phone and find some other remedy. We want to go to our friend that will tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. We do everything but come to the one who can absolutely help us, the very one who is pointing out the issue of our life. Let me tell you something, church. I'm telling you right now. You want to live life differently. You want to feel life differently. You want to experience God to the fullest. It begins and it ends with your response to conviction. Now, if that's too much for you this morning, you might want to leave now. I'm not kidding. Because the word that we're getting ready to read is powerful. It is powerful. If you remember what we talked about last week, Peter gave this eloquent, wonderful discourse. He basically gave his testimony. He talked about what he already knew from Joel. He tried to connect with the people because of what they should have known. Then he gave his personal testimony of what he experienced through Christ. What he saw, what he felt, what he learned, what he knew And he just laid it on the line and he told these Jewish people who follow God, but they were the very ones who took Jesus to the cross. And Peter said, that was a mistake. That was wrong. Sometimes we need to hear that we've done wrong. And let me tell you, I don't like that. I can hear that I was wrong from a lot of people, but when I hear my wife tell me that I was wrong, my world comes to an end. And she don't even have to tell me that I was wrong. She just has that look. (laughs) Y'all laugh because your own spouse has that look. I have one that I can just flash at her and she just knows. Why is that? Is that really about their look or is it really the conviction in our heart that we already knew we were wrong and we want to deflect and put it on someone else? Listen, at some point in time in our Christian walk, we're going to have to be big girls and big boys and start living up to the potential that God has created us to live this life and own our own mess to not have to rely on somebody else to tell me that I was wrong, to know that I have done something against God because his spirit is so strong in me that the moment I do it or the moment I'm even thinking about doing it, he's already throwing the red flags up and saying, Don't do it. Stay away from it. That's not for me. That's not a part of me. You don't need to be a part of it. But we don't like that. Because we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we don't want anybody to tell us any different. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are a follower of God, if you claim the name of Christ as Lord of your life, if you've committed to follow him with everything that's within you, then you have accepted the spirit to be living inside of you. And my question to you this morning is, what you doing with it? Because your heart change, your life for him begins and ends with how you decide to deal with conviction. Let's look at scripture this morning. You with me? Or am I by myself this morning? Good. I feel good, man. Off vacation, I am fired up and ready. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, remember, these are Jewish people that have traveled from afar. They are here for a feast, a festival, and they just happened to hear all of the apostles speaking in tongues. And then Peter leveraged that opportunity and just preached the gospel. I mean, it wasn't with fiery speech. It wasn't arrogant. It wasn't even, um, it was just truth being shared. It was his heart being exposed. He wasn't mad. He wasn't angry. He wasn't even just throwing daggers at these people. He's just sharing truth with them very, I would imagine, calmly, which for Peter was probably tough and different. But there was something happening within him that allowed him to just share this is the truth. And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. And you know what that feels like. If you've been to church at all in your life, if you know Christ at all, if the Spirit lives within you, you know what that feels like to be cut to the heart. It's that white knuckle grabbing onto the seat in front of you. It's that cold and clammy feeling that you sometimes get. It's that heat rush that you feel that you think everybody's looking at you. And nobody knows you're there anyway but the spirit of God does. And he's taking his very word through the mouth of just a simple speaker and cutting directly to your heart. What is he cutting away? It is the sword of his spirit. It's the sword of the Lord getting in there and cutting away the junk, the fatty stuff that doesn't need to be a part of your life anyway. He is doing you a favor. He's doing you a service. He's kindly coming alongside you saying, hey, let me just shave this off right here. You don't need it. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And watch what they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles. Men, brethren, what shall we do? Do you ever feel like that? You've got that weird feeling, but you're not quite sure what it is, but you know it's something. Should I get up and shout? Should I run out? Should I run up? Should I pray? Should I not pray? Should I kneel? Should I stand? Should I do a headstand? What do I do with this feeling because it's real and I feel it and it's uncomfortable? It's unlike any other feeling. It's because it's a feeling from the Spirit of God and it's his conviction of saying, hey, I love you so much, I don't want that to be a part of your life. If we can change our viewpoint of what conviction really is, it will change our lives. Conviction is his mode of transportation of making us better for sanctifying our lives. It's him just hugging you saying, hey, let me make you better. It's why you're here, is it not? You want to feel better, you want to be better, you want to live better. It starts with acknowledging the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that's saying that part of your life you don't need. But again, that heart change, that life change begins or it ends with how you decide to deal with that conviction. If you decide to deal with the conviction, then your journey continues. If you decide to not deal with your conviction, your journey stops right there. Not that you're done with your journey, it's just going to pause for a little while until you get rid of what he's convicting you of. Watch what Peter says. Because these people, again, they went from accusing them of being drunks or not knowing that they knew what they were doing, they were confused, to acknowledging that these are men and their brethren. Big title change there, It's it's a big deal. They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? Watch what Peter says to them. Repent. Big church word, by the way. Here's what repent means. Stop sinning. In case you didn't hear that or catch that, and maybe at home you you weren't able to see that, let me just say it to you because I, I don't. Stop sinning. That's what repent means. It means to own up to the fact that I'm doing something against God's spirit that is wrong and I need to stop. But I don't want to stop. It's so much fun. It feels so good. And plus, can I just ask for forgiveness later? Sure. But you keep doing it. And there's some verses in scripture that talks about you keep sinning and you keep sinning and you keep sinning. And at some point, the sacrifice kind of doesn't cover that anymore because you're intentionally and willfully sinning now. He says, repent. Do a 180. Turn away from the sin and self that you're involved in and turn solely to Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He says, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He says, not only... Should you repent, let go of your sins, stop sinning, but you should be baptized to acknowledge that your sins have been forgiven. I know when you read that, there's a lot of um, churches out there that believe that you have to be baptized to be, for your sins to be forgiven. We do not subscribe to that because I believe that's teaching a little bit differently here than the way that it reads It simply means that when I am baptized, I am acknowledging that the work that Christ did on the cross to the forgiveness of my sins was enough and complete. And so I'm going to acknowledge with my mouth and then physically be buried in the water to rise again new and clean, just like Christ was buried and rose with a new life. It's an acknowledgement of the change in my life. And then... You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is kind of where it gets a little weird for us, right? We got a ghost living in us. That's, that's not what that means. That's not what that means at all. It is the Holy Ghost, but it doesn't mean ghost like we think that we watch on TV. It is the Spirit of God it is... His essence of who he is lives with inside of us and guides us. He informs our thinking. He empowers us to speak when we are needed to speak. He gives us the strength and the energy to do and to accomplish things that we cannot do and accomplish on our own. It is he who gives us what we need when we need it to accomplish his plan and his goal. This is not meant to be read that they were going to be able to speak in tongues of everybody else. It is not meant to be read that they were going to all be able to do special things. It just means that every person who accepts Christ, who trusts Jesus as their Lord, who submits their life to him, they receive the helper that Jesus talked about. His spirit will live inside of them and guide them and direct them and help them to accomplish the purposes of God. Verse 39, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Here's the first thing I want you to see. When we talk about conviction, again, that's that verse 37 of cutting to the heart. It's the realization of my true position regarding truth in Scripture. I want you to think about that. Because there's lots of passages that we read that we're like, wow, that's me. James chapter 3 is a good book for all of us, a good chapter for all of us to recognize that it talks about our tongue and how we speak. That should be a convicting chapter for all of us. That is one of those chapters when you read it, you see, oh, I need to do that different or I need to work on this. That is realizing that my position in the way that I'm living my life right now, as it matches up to Scripture, they don't match. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's really strong, sometimes it's very subtle, sometimes it's just, oh, that's what that means, I need to make a difference here. Conviction is just realizing that I'm not lining up with Scripture. It's emotional distress as well. I can tell you, man, I have bawled my eyes out before. Just not wanting to go to the altar because I'm scared to death of what everybody else is going to think. They're going to know that I'm dealing with this sin or that sin or this part of my life. Most of the time, people aren't paying attention because they're dealing with their own conviction of their life. Let 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 me talk about this just for a second. We talk about the brokenness. Listen, you can't be saved unless you realize you're lost. And conviction... Of the Holy Spirit that's him coming alongside you helping you to recognize that you're lost you're gonna die and go to hell you're gonna be eternally separated from God forever and that conviction may feel very heavy and very icky but it is a wonderful gift of God for him to say hey I don't want you to go to hell I didn't go through all of this for everybody to go to hell. I went through all of this for all to come be with me, but you must choose that. But until you realize how lost you are, you really can't be saved. You really can't be healed until you acknowledge that you're broken. I wish God would just fix this. How many of y'all have ever broken a bone? did you go to the doctor why because you acknowledge that something's wrong with my arm it's going in the wrong direction it's broken and i can't get it healed unless i go to the one and i acknowledge that my bone is broken then why do we treat our heart any different Why do we treat our mind any different? Why do we treat our emotional baggage any different? Why do we treat the things that we're dragging around for no reason that we are just holding on to because we love being the victim? Stop being the victim. Let God heal you. Let God see or help you see your value to him. But we can't be healed until we see that we are broken. And I can't be forgiven unless I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. Meaning, when that conviction comes over me and calls attention to sin that's in my life, I can't be forgiven of that sin until I acknowledge it and take it to him. Let me, let me say that one more time. That means when conviction hits my life and brings, about, uh, brings up sin that is a part of my life, I cannot be forgiven of that sin until I acknowledge it and bring it to him and leave it at his feet through true Repentance. So how do I respond when I hear about or when what I hear brings about conviction? How do, how do I respond? Well, the first thing we got to do is we got to repent. That's the first thing. we got to turn 180 degrees. For, the, for those of you that are not really good with math, that means if I'm going in this direction, 360 would mean I go all the way around, right? So half of that's 180 means I'm going to go in the opposite direction of the sin that's in my life. That's repentance. Repentance is not saying, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. I'll just go this way. Because guess what? It's still in my line of sight. And if it's still in my line of sight, it still has the potential to draw me away. But if I turn my back on it and I am focused on Jesus, it is no longer in my line of sight. And I have repented of my sin. And I am trusting that he is going to replace it with something better. That's repentance. That is true repentance. That's not just saying, God, I'm sorry. And I hope you do say, God, I'm sorry. We should say, God, I'm sorry. But we should also say, God, I am so sorry that I hate what I've done. I detest it. I am turning away from it forever. Because I want you. Sometimes we feel like we've repented of our sin But we have not made that change in our life of wanting Christ over that sin. And that's a big deal. This is not just feeling bad about it either. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Because remember, we, we had that conviction. We feel really bad. But then we walk out of here thinking, whew, man, I feel so much better. I really felt bad about that. Does that really work? Nope. Sure doesn't. You can acknowledge it. You can feel bad about it. But until you learn to truly hate it and to walk away from it and to love Christ more than that sin, it will not go away. Starting to get a little uncomfortable in here, isn't it? Good. Good. That's not because of me. That's because the wonderful spirit of God is saying, hey, I want to do some work here this morning. Who's willing to go with me? Again, I go back to my original question. What are you going to do with that? In John chapter 8, we find the Pharisees bringing a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. <clears throat> now, these are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the ones who knew a Messiah was coming, the ones who study about God, who know the law. They accuse this woman, and Jesus simply says, hey, he who has No sin, let him cast the first stone. Simple statement, he's not angry, he's not excited, he just makes the simple statement. And then those that heard it, look at their response. Being convicted by their conscience, they felt the cutting portion of that scripture in their life. The very word of God penetrated their heart to convict them of knowing that they were in the wrong and what they do? They fell to their knees and praised Almighty God and gave their life to Jesus. That's what should have happened. But what did they do? Went, one, went out one by one. They felt really bad, but they walked away no different. Folks, I appreciate and can understand The power of conviction and how uncomfortable that is. And I can appreciate you acknowledging that, yes, God is dealing with my heart right now. I love that. I embrace that, and I pray that he is doing that even now. What I can't understand is leaving here thinking that that was enough. You're no different than the Pharisees. What Christ is looking for, what God is looking for, what the Spirit is wanting for you to do is to fall on your face, fall at the feet of Jesus, and leave that mess there and walk away from it. That's what he desires more than anything. So the first thing we got to do is repent. The second thing he wants us to do is to be baptized. This is following in obedience by full immersion. I know many of you may have been sprinkled as a child or, or sprinkled maybe as an adult, but we believe Scripture teaches clearly that it is full immersion that is a true sign of one who is following Christ. It is an act of obedience. It is me deciding that this is worth it to me. It is letting everyone know that this is the decision that I am following. Physical acknowledgement that you believe the work of Christ secures the gift of forgiveness for your life. That's what baptism is really doing. You are identifying with the work of Christ. You are saying, this is the life that I want to live from here on out. I recognize that what he has did is enough, and I'm good with that. And I'm resting on that promise. He said, repent first, and then follow in believers, what we call believers' baptism. Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized. Every one of you. We're going to see next week how many that really was because it's a couple. Third thing that he talks about here is once we repent and once we are baptized, I believe that the Spirit falls the moment we repent and accept Christ. But the Holy Spirit will come to you. Now, again, for some of you that may be afraid of ghosts or a little weary about that kind of stuff, this is the good one. This is the one you want. This is the one that wants to help you, not hurt you, because everything else is bad. This is the helper that was promised by Christ. This is the one that he said, hey, I need to go, because I want you to have the helper. I want him to come and help you. The Spirit of God will fill you and will always be with you. Now, there is a whole list of things I wanted to put on this, but that would have made the, the print really tiny on this slide. But listen, he's not just going to be with you always. You know in those moments where you feel like you don't have the words to say, but you want to say something, he can give you those words. That's what he's there for. You know in those moments where you feel like you can't go another inch or another mile or you've lost all hope, guess what the Spirit does? He, he restores that hope. He takes you that extra mile. He helps you and empowers you to go a little bit further than you thought you could ever do. You ever wonder about how people endure so many things? Well, a lot of times, people that endure some crazy stuff are those that are following Christ. And it's not because they're superheroes. It's because the spirit that lives within them has allowed them and gifted them and helped them deal with whatever they're dealing with. Isn't that why you're here? Isn't that what you're looking for? Answers? Solutions? Help? It's right here. And yet, the moment we walk out these doors, we get right back on our phone or on our laptops or on the internet or calling our friends, going to the wrong source that can truly help us. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, this is Paul speaking to the Romans, the Jewish Romans, and helping them understand, here's what you need to know. This God, he is the God of hope, and he will fill you with that hope, but he will also fill you with joy and peace while you're believing. (coughs) Which means, if I'm not in the word, then there's not much more I'm gonna be believing because I'm not really learning anything new, and so at some point, could my peace and my joy kind of dry up now that might have struck a chord with a few of you because you kind of feel a little dry your joy is not like it used to be the peace of mind isn't quite happening the way that it used to happen maybe just maybe you aren't restoring yourself by being in the word so that you may believe even more than you already believe This is an ongoing process. We never reached a point where we figured it all out. And Paul is simply saying to him, hey, listen, this is the God that's going to do all that. And he wants to do all of those things so that you may abound in hope. That's what we want because the hope is the thing that's going to carry us to the end and waiting for his return. Some of us aren't going to see the return of Christ. Some of us, a lot of us, most of us probably are going to die. We're going to die. That's scripture. It's not trying to be morbid or weird. You're going to die. You probably may not see the return of Christ with your physical eyes. But it should not diminish your hope one bit. Because whether I'm dead or whether I'm alive, the promise of his return still holds true. And I can hope in that. My belief, my trust, the peace, the joy, all pulls together to bring me hope and knowing that no matter what I'm enduring, no matter what I'm going through, Christ still sits on the throne because he is risen and he is alive. Yes. Did you move me? Thank you. Lastly, he says it's meant for all. Common verses that we know, John 3, 16. Uh, Excuse me, I was going to put that on there, but I changed my mind. It's Romans 10, 9 through 13. Watch this. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's the first step. Jesus is Lord of my life. That's not just a statement that should flow out. It should be the belief of our heart. That I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Saved from what? Again, I say, saved from hell. Saved from eternal separation from God. Now that's the end stuff, but you will also be saved from yourself right here, right now. I can do a lot of bad real quick. I don't need a lot of help. I don't need any influence from Satan. I'm pretty creative and I'm pretty good. So are you. I want to be saved from myself. I'm tired. I've getting myself in trouble. I want to be so in tune with the Spirit that the moment I start veering off, his red flag plops up, and I'm like, yep, you're right. I feel that conviction. I'm moving right back. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Watch this. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. He doesn't care if you're white, black, woman, male. He do not care. He wants your heart and all our hearts look the same. And until we get to the place where we can accept that, probably not much is going to change. Don't you remember God speaking to Samuel saying, I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart and he saw the heart of David and it was just real. Real. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. A neat little three-letter word there. All. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that leave anybody out? But it places a responsibility on every soul. Jesus is always calling. We sang about that, the fact that God is always at work. He's always moving. He's always doing something. And sometimes that something is the convicting of our hearts to draw us closer to him. Sometimes that is the convicting spirit saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Sometimes it's just simply saying, hey, you're not a part of what I've got going on. I want you to be a part. Come over here. And our responsibility is to simply say, yes, Lord, I'm in. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So how do I respond? When what I hear brings about that awful feeling, and I'm going to start saying it's a good feeling. Let's, let's rename it. Let's recategorize it. It's not bad. It is good. It is, it's, it's that loving parent coming alongside you, disciplining you, that you know you really don't appreciate, but you appreciate years later. Right? Teens, you'll, you'll get that later on. Because <coughs> I know you don't appreciate it, but you will. And secretly, parents, I'm just going to tell a secret here. Kids actually appreciate your discipline more than they let on. Don't let their reactions fool you. You stay the course and you do what you are called to do by God. Because the same God that I serve is just like a father to me and he does not let up. He is consistent and he is firm, but he is loving and he is understanding. No matter what my reaction is. So how do we respond? That was extra, by the way. (laughs) Isaiah 66 says, Thus says the Lord... Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made and all these things exist. Children of Israel are trying to do all these things and say, hey, here's what we've done for you. And God's like, no, 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 no. I did that through you. So take a breath. But on this one will I look. You can build the nicest church, but I'm not gonna pay as much attention to what I'm getting ready to share with you. You can do the nicest gift to some missionary organization, but if you don't do what I'm getting ready to read, he's not really paying attention to it. He says, the one that I will look, God said, the one that I will pay attention to the most, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, Poor, not meaning money poor, but realizing the need for Christ in my life that my spirit on its own is lacking. And a contrite heart realizing that because of my lacking spirit, I will not spend eternity with him and it breaks my heart. That one who realizes the sin in his life will keep him away from God and he is broken over that sin. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of him and the one that recognizes it, the one that owns it, the one that trembles at his word, that is the one that God will see. He's happy that you feel bad about your sin He is pleased that you acknowledge the conviction of your life. But if you want to be seen by God, you must be broken before him over the sin that he convicts you of. I love Psalm 51. It's probably one of my favorite passages. I I try to go back to it as much as I can. Because David, a man after God's own heart, the one who did some egregious sins, (laughs) says... The sacrifices of God. He doesn't care about the burnt offerings. He doesn't care about all the other stuff. What God is looking for is a broken and a contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. Which could imply that if I come in any other way, he's not going to be pleased with it. Does that mean you've got to be teary-eyed and just sobbing everywhere I don't know I don't know how you react to emotional stuff but I can tell you what the scripture says that unless my heart is broken over it and my spirit recognizes what that I'm lacking God's not going to be ready for me God is ready for those who are ready He is ready for those who are broken and have a contrite and poor spirit. Because heart change, true heart change, true life change will begin with a yes to that conviction that you're feeling. Life change will not happen if you say no. Just feeling bad about it is not enough. These people felt the cutting power of the word and they opened their life up to God. And next week, we're going to see what happens when a life is willing to open up and acknowledge their sinful state because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As the praise team comes, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you. And if God is already, again, I'm not, I know many of y'all think, man, we we should do more altar calls. I'm just not a beggar, and I'm not one to do a lot of altar calls because I want you to sit on it. I want you to think on it. I want, when we do an altar call, it means something because you're ready. These altars are always up here. And I know that I don't always do an altar call, but the Spirit of God is always moving. And so you move when you're ready. Don't wait on me. You won't hurt my feelings a bit. But when the Spirit of God is working on your heart, I'm just going to beg on His behalf Please do something about it. Please don't sit on it. Don't grab that chair until your knuckles turn white. Move. That may mean you just get down right where you're at. And I know that many of you think, well, I'll just pray right here. Well, maybe your movement will encourage somebody else. And I know many of us seasoned Christians are thinking, "Oh, I'll just I'll maybe Some of the newer Christians seeing some seasoned Christians getting on their face before a holy God on the altar that we have here might do some good. Here's the first question I've got for you. How do you respond when you feel conviction? Do you run from it? Do you ignore it? Do you hate it? Do you embrace it? Do you leverage it for growth? Do you believe feeling bad about your sins is enough? Or are you truly repenting? Now there's a large gamut in between there, isn't there? Just feeling bad and kind of saying you're sorry and then trying a little bit, but going back to it. True repentance is fully turning away from your sin. And then lastly, his terms are brokenness and willingness to follow him. Are you trying to negotiate with him? Let that sink in. Because we really do negotiate with God a lot. He's already set it in stone. His word is clear. He wants your heart to be broken and for you to acknowledge your need for him. That's where it's at. I'll be standing up here be happy to pray with you, talk with you, whatever you need. But please, I'm asking you, if God is dealing with, even if you don't even know what that means or what that is, but you feel something, come pray, come talk. God, I love you. Even if I don't see you working, God, I know that you're working. And I just ask that with my friends that you have here this morning, who I dearly love, that you would gently allow them to feel what they need to feel today. Draw them close to you. I can only ask for you to do what you do because it is your spirit that really does the work. So I submit all these things to you in Jesus' name.